If you're talking about it, I'll be talking about it. Dennis Prager here. Join me this morning at 11, right here on AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, Emmanuel, ha, ha, over the, uh, the weekend as Trump visited uh, France, uh, gave a uh, very good Veterans Day speech at Seren at the cemetery there, honoring both American and French war dead. But he was uh, criticized. For not showing up. Well, Gabe Perry. Yeah. He was criticized by Macron, who, uh, channeling Charles de Gaulle, went on this riff about nationalism versus patriotism. Mm-hmm. Right? The whole kind of nationalism is, or patriotism is loving my fellow countrymen first, and nationalism is just hating the other. And uh, the implication was that uh, the latter is reflective of Trump's nationalism. And Trump finds it tiresome, would just like uh, Macron to stick a croissant in it and pay up over at NATO. And I think that's probably a sound position. For more on this and other geopolitical matters, we're pleased to be joined by Jed Babin, former United States Deputy Undersecretary of Defense, contributor to The Washington Times and The American Spectator. Jed, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Well, good morning. You might add to my uh, intro at that point that I'm the first person to say, and uh, I think it was right at the beginning of the Iraq War, that going to war without France is like going deer hunting without an accordion. They leave a lot of noisy, <laughs> useless baggage behind. <laughs> they do yes, dress well, though. That is good. That uh, is very good. Well, uh, so what about uh, the uh, criticism of uh, Trump's uh, time in France and um, and this whole uh, discussion of uh, nationalism and versus patriotism while, oh, by the way, the EU is sort of melting down? Well, I think Mr. Macron is clearly off base, and he's just doing what French leaders do whenever they get in trouble at home. He's got like a 29% approval rating in the French polls. He tried to shake up his cabinet. That didn't work. And he went on to uh, begin the observances of the centenary of the end of World War I uh, by going and honoring uh, French war heroes, of course, that's a very, very, very thin list, uh, by honoring M- Marshal Patan. Now, you might remember yes. that Marshal Patan had a, a big role <clears throat> in World War I, uh, where he helped lead the French to a completely stalemated war. Uh, and then in World War II, he headed the Vichy government, which, among other things, helped the Germans deport tens of thousands of French Jews to Auschwitz and other death camps. Yes. So... You have a situation where Mr. Macron is falling back and falling back. And, of course, what he wants to do then, the last resort of a scoundrel, or at least a French scoundrel, is to criticize America. So he was off base, very much so, in criticizing Mr. Trump and in calling for a, a, a European Union army, uh, which is truly, truly a laugher. Did he? I didn't hear everything Macron had to say. Did he reflect fondly on uh, Robespierre's reign of terror, or did he not get to that? <laughs> He probably ran out of time before he did that. Well, I don't know know, if you read President Trump's tweets, but this morning he's fighting back. He said uh, he was just trying to get another subject. By the way, there is no country more nationalist than France. Very proud people, and rightfully so. And then in capital letters, make France great again. How long uh, do you think this little tit for tat is going to go on between these two? Oh, it's going to go on indefinitely because Macron, you know, really can't give up on it. Now he's taken his position. You know, at the same time, as uh, as you pointed out earlier, Dan, that uh, the EU is kind of falling apart. They've got Brexit. They've got 
Italy, which is broke again. They've got Greece, which is broke again. And, you know, they're really kind of edging towards the abyss themselves. So he wants to be, Macron wants to be leader of the EU, and he's going to continue to pick on Mr. Trump to do it. And they, they don't even have like a Gerard Depardieu in his prime to entertain them while this all happens. They, the bread and circuses they need for distraction. It's sad. Uh, let me ask you uh, this, uh, Jed. You mentioned uh, Macron trying a cabinet shakeup. It looks like uh, there are more shakeups coming in Trump's cabinet, including with the ouster of Christian Nielsen, who was John Kelly's choice to replace him at Department of Homeland Security. Uh, Trump uh, frustrated with her and some a lot of reports that she's a little bit frustrated with him as well when it comes to one of the signature issues of this administration, which is uh, immigration control and border security. Um, is it time for her to go? And for and if so, is there a, an ideal replacement? Uh, possibly. Um, I can't think of an ideal replacement for an agency, which probably shouldn't exist in the first place. Uh, but really, I don't know what else is going to go on in the cabinet. I don't think anybody does. Uh, certainly, this is the sort of turnover you see pretty much in every off-year election, after every year off-year election. There are always cabinet departures. Uh, when I was a, uh, a deputy underdog in the uh, Pentagon, uh, we looked at the tenure of most of the secretaries of defense and their deputies, and it was something like 18 months. So, you know, to have someone last a lot longer than that, as very few have, like, you know, Cap Weinberger, it's, it's or you know Don Rumsfeld. It's really very unusual. So again, I can't get very excited about it. I don't know if there's an ideal replacement. Uh, you know, Rudy Giuliani would be good, but I don't think he wants the job. Couldn't stand the pay cut. Uh, there's um, uh, sort of got subsumed by the midterms, of course. But more information coming out about that murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, including that... Uh, uh, oh, your boss. Yeah, there was word given back yeah. that sort of links it to MBS ordering the killing, which is a surprise to no one. Um, but the question is, just with the evidence mounting, that it, the order was given by MBS and uh, what that does to the stability of the, that regime, what is a President Trump to do with respect to the Saudis? Well, I don't know. Uh, it's very hard to believe that it's that the murder of Khashoggi was not carried out either on uh, MBS's orders, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, uh, or at least with his knowledge and consent. Uh, so I don't know where you go from here. Uh, the Saudis are now saying, as they always do, well, you know, there's no involvement of MBS, there's no involvement of the royal family. And, you know, these things happen. Look, it, it is going to be very interesting to see what happens within Saudi Arabia right now. Uh, if those things go, you know, they range from uh, MBS staying where he is uh, and having his power as it currently is at a very high level. Uh, he's effectively the king at this point. Uh, it goes down from there uh, to possibly him being assassinated. Well, uh, and that happened in 1975 to a Saudi king, so it's not unheard of. Well, right, and and then the of course the complicating factor is the region and uh, our relationship with the Saudis vis-a-vis -vis the Iranians. And uh, again, this week, you've got uh, Hamas firing some 400-plus rockets uh, from Gaza uh, into uh, Israeli-controlled territory to try and murder uh, Jews. And, uh, and so the, that whole dance that we do in the Middle East to try to um, balance off the competing threats to our one true ally, Israel, uh, Jordan, also an ally, but also just stability in that region. 
Well, yeah, Mr. Trump is supposedly coming up with a peace plan uh, to include the Palestinians in Israel, and that's still a warning. Um, we don't know what's going to be in it. Uh, reportedly, it has relied on uh, Saudis very heavily uh, against Iran and to try to lead their region. But you have the Saudis now leading that stalemated war against the Houthis, the Iranian-backed tribe in Yemen, and that's a terribly bloody war. Uh, Trump is under a lot of pressure to cease support for the Saudis. I mean, we've already ceased uh, air refueling uh, in support of their forces there. So I, I don't know what really is going to come out of it. I suspect strongly uh, that it's going to be a case where we're going to have to withdraw uh, more influence from the Saudis' behalf. Uh, the Khashoggi thing, the Yemen war, I mean, those things are very big factors in what's going on in, uh, in the whole region right now. And, you know, again, we are going to be opposed to Iran because Iran is religiously opposed to us for a time immemorial. Uh, it may be that we have some, some setbacks in our campaigns against Iran uh, because we have to distance ourselves from the Saudis for a while. Let's move on to another region of the world, North Korea. There's reports of new satellite images that suggest the North Koreans are still developing their missile capabilities at hidden bases. Do you think President Trump got duped by Kim Jong-un, or is this fake news? Well, uh, neither. Uh, actually, you guys are probably too young to remember Gomer Pyle, USMC. Oh, I remember Gomer. Oh, yeah, well, as all I can say is regarding, yeah, all I can say is regarding to the uh, <clears throat> North Koreans, not disclosing their bases and continuing their missile developments is surprise, surprise, surprise. Surprise. I mean, come on, guys. Yes. Yeah. We cannot be surprised at any of this. The North Koreans have never made an agreement that they have followed or obeyed in any respect. You know, the only thing that they're doing right now in, in sort of a uh, respect to an agreement is <clears throat> peace, the uh, peace armistice signed uh, at the end of the Korean War. They haven't attacked lately. Uh, but they're not going to give up their nukes peacefully. They're not going to give up their missiles. So the real question is, what can we do? And the problem is partly that uh, we have undertaken our sanctions against Iran and given China a six-month exemption from the oil sanctions. And, of course, China is the biggest buyer of Iranian oil. And, of course, China sends Iranian oil to North Korea to prop up the regime. So... You know, it's like everything else. All the bones are connected by one ligament or another. And in this case, we have to look at China. We're trying to get a trade agreement with them. The trade agreement is not going to help us with respect to North Korea. And uh, the Chinese are going to continue to prop up the Kim regime. So we have a status quo that is intolerable to us. I think the only real answer right now is to try to restore the balance of power on the Korean Peninsula. And you do it in two ways. Number one, you give them, the North Koreans, are actually deploy there under U.S. command, uh, substantially more missile defenses, U.S. missile defenses like the THAAD system, like the Patriot system. And now that we're getting out of the INF, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, uh, because of two things, Russian uh, violations of the treaty and China, which was not part of the treaty, but nevertheless has been developing this sort of weapon for a very long time and deploying it extensively around the Pacific Rim. We need to probably develop our own intermediate-range nuclear missiles and put them in range of South Korea, <clears throat> pardon me, and uh, the places in the South China Sea that uh, China is developing. Uh, speaking of the triumph of hope over experience in these matters, uh, the uh, G20 summit at the end of this month in Buenos Aires, 
anything likely to come out of that in addition to what you just said other than novelty pens? Nah. I mean, they'll have a big proclamation at the end, which will go, humma, 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 yeah, 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 and don't really do anything. Uh, I think the questions really come down to a couple. Number one, uh, is there going to be further objection and resistance to our sanctions against Iran? And number two, uh, are they going to do anything at the WTO, the World Trade Organization, uh, with respect to the bailout that Pakistan wants? Don't forget, Pakistan is beyond, aside from Iran, Pakistan is probably the greatest supporter of terrorist groups in the world. Uh, and they're looking for another bailout loan from the WTO. They've had, I think, four or five since the 1980s that they benefited from. Uh, and frankly, we're going to stop this one because Pakistan is not doing what it needs to do to crack down on these terrorist groups. In fact, they form a large part of the support of the government there. All right. That's been an underreported story, so that's an interesting note. Uh, he is Jed Babbitt, former United States Deputy Undersecretary of Defense, contributor now to the Washington Times and the American Spectator. Jed, thanks so much for joining us. As always, appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Sorry to be so depressing, but that's the way it is. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> it's a depressing place, this world. Thanks, Jed. And he joined us on our turn.